Well, Sarah Heffler, good morning. Good afternoon, Nancy That's Rommelman. That's right. I'm, I think I'm eight hours ahead of you here in Tel Aviv in my hotel cinema in, uh, in Tel Aviv. Uh, and you are still home, still a little under the weather. Yeah, I'm still a little COVID-y. I'm still a little sniffly. So yeah, please Sophie. feel sad for me. Uh, <laughs> and I will try to mute my microphone when I cough or have to blow my nose. So yeah. Um, we have been uh, communicating just among ourselves or between ourselves. You know, that's a little pet peeve of mine. So between is with two people. And between means between two, two people, two parties. I mean, it, that's when okay. you use between, yes. right? And for anything more than two parties, it's among or amongst. Did you know that? Huh, maybe not. So I like if you say like there were three of us and we were talking between 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 the three of us is not is not no, uh, accurate among, among among the three of us that's what i think please somebody uh feel free to fact check me on that i it's kind of like a pet well, you just thing slung that- out some strong grammar not to then say that you're not sure about it well you know that's my prerogative ladies prerogative okay here. that's fair um, enough okay spe- speaking of ladies you um oh. you have yeah how's that Come on, Sarah. That was just the the best segue okay, ever. Okay, now I'm now I'm hooked because I love speaking <laughs> of ladies. What, where are you going to take me with this? I'm taking this to a. Uh, uh, you watched something. You watched a documentary, which I was actually a oh. little surprised that you watched it. Um, I have a very very small amount of history with this person. I'm going to let you tee it up more properly, and it's not something that I think I probably would have. Uh, watched. However, since my dear pod partner here did and said to me, I think you'd find some things interesting here. Um, I did. I'm sorry to admit, I only got through half of it last night. We're, we're here in, um, we're here in Israel. I'm here with a group of journalists, some of whom are kind of keeping a low profile for whatever the reasons I'm sure you'll hear about it, but they include a lot of people, you know, including, um, Matt Welch and Michael Moynihan and who else can I name? Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. Those two right now, yeah, Joe Rogan's here. Um, there's Joe twelve Rogan of us. And uh, uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Anyway, we are. Rachel we really Maddow are. And Rachel. Rachel's Terry great Gross. on the bus. She is the funnest. Um, but we yeah. have just been. She's fun. She's funny. She is. We've been running from morning till night doing things. None of things. those people are there. Um, so I only got to watch half of it last night because I fell asleep. But um, I thought, why don't you tee us up to to what we're going to be talking about, Sarah Hapla? Okay. I want to say I was very reluctant. Okay. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm no longer going to tease our audience about what it is that we're talking about here. Uh, we're going to be talking about Candace Owens Mm -hmm. and Candace Owens is a figure that kind of burst out of nowhere around 2018 and became this rising star in the conservative party. And really, like, before I knew much about her at all, I knew that I was supposed to hate her. Okay, <laughs> so so she's some... And, and, and I, as I watched her out of the corner of my eye, I was like, oh, I mean, she, she's somebody that is very electric and interesting, but then it doesn't take long watching her to start going like, oh, she's like, she's got some dangerous stuff going on. I mean, she's she's playing really fast and loose with things. 
Um, she then also, you know, did not do me any favors by putting out a book, uh, maybe like two years ago that happened to have the same name as a book that I had put out in 2015. Oh, so she I put out a book called Blackout. Yes. And she's I never we should mention that. Candace Owens is black. If you don't know who she is, whether that's, I think that is important to the title of her book and, and to yours, but in different ways. It's not, not her being black is not at all important to my book, but no, to her my book. book is about the alcoholic blackout. Yes. Yeah. Her book is about, uh, basically how Democrats failed the, um, black people and, mm-hmm. and have basically taken them for granted. Now, I was recently made aware of a documentary that she had made about the George Floyd incident. And I was reluctant to see it because, you know, it's we live in this environment. It's really interesting because I don't remember that I used to be like this, but now it's like if something feels ideologically questionable or wrong or dangerous, it's like I, I don't want to see it. I almost feel nervous watching it. It's like somebody's going to find out that I watched the Candace Owens documentary and then they're going to think something bad about me. And I think maybe a lot of this is why I wanted to talk about this documentary is the okay. very fact that I was so reluctant to even like there was some part of me that didn't even want people to know that I had watched it, which I find very strange. I, I mean, look, same- I watched um, Triumph of the Will in college. Like, you know, you watch like these <laughs> ho- horrible Nazi propaganda films in college as like part of your training. It's like part of your education. OK, because you learn from them. Right. So to know who Lenny Riefenstahl was, was like, was like, uh, you know, t- to know, to know, to know the world. But now there's this, there's this cone of silence around somebody like Candace Owens. So she had developed a documentary about George Floyd. Um, and it was on the Daily Wire website. Which, for like reasons I'm not even going to get into, I, ha- <laughs> I had a, I had a, I, I got, I, I subscribed to it, and then I quickly like qu- silenced all the notifications, and didn't like I couldn't, I couldn't live in that world. But I actually think, if it's just you and me, and you, I think you, especially anybody following journalism or or watching the landscape of journalism, if you're not watching what they're doing over there, you're, you're crazy because this, it's like, it's like those years when people would like just ignore that Joe Rogan existed. And it's like, what they're doing is fascinating and extraordinarily popular, whether you like them or not. And I actually have very, I have very mixed feelings on Ben Shapiro. I think you underestimate him at your own risk. Uh, I think he's very smart. I think he does way too much like owning the libs and sort of like liberal tears bullshit for me. But uh, anyway, I had, I, I, I had the password to this 
for this site. So I, I, I watched the documentary and, and we can talk about it. It's called The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, which I think is a bad title and I think is not even true. I think there's like been so many different uh, m- movies and books and things like that with that headline. So anyway, I thought that was a, a stupid uh, title. However, whatever you think of Candace Owens, and I'm not having having seen more about her, I'm I'm not a fan, and I know you have very strong opinions about her. Um, there's stuff in this documentary that really unsettled me, and I found really important to know, and it really galls me that I found out about them through this documentary. Because, okay, and I'm going to give you an example. And the example I'm going to give you that upset me more than anything is that she interviews two of George Floyd's roommates during the time that he lived in Minneapolis. Very, like, friendly, chatty, cool people, middle-aged. They were all living in a home together. After George Floyd died, they never, like, all the, the... payments like the rent and the bills and all of that fell on them because they'd been splitting it three ways and all of it fell on them they never heard from black lives matter they never heard from the floyd family i'm sitting there going like why have i never seen these people and like all you think of all the stories that have been written about this this was the biggest story possibly of the decade, right? Oh, sure. And for, we I, I would say for sure. Heard. We haven't I've never seen these roommates. Nobody talked to them. And I cannot get over it. And there's still a like a, there's like George Floyd's old car sitting in the driveway. It's been sitting there for 2 years because they don't have the title and they don't have the money to move it. And I'm I I just it really upset me. And so, you know, after this, after I watched this movie and we can talk more about like what was good about it, what could have been better, why Candace Owens is is like an untrustworthy figure. Um I went to Yield Internet I wanted to see what had been written about this in the in in mainstream media. And it's like it's like nothing. Like everybody ignored it. It came out. Had you even heard about it? Only from you. When I told you about it? Yep. No, no, I mean like before that cuz it came out like in mid-October. No, I hadn't heard of it. I mean, I've been and, a little and, busy since mid-October, no, but I, uh, I had not heard of it right, till right, you right. told Fair me enough. to watch it. Yeah. So, yeah, I will and uh, no, go ahead. I, I just want to say one thing real quick. So if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 91% audience approval. Wow. And a 0% critics approval. Because no, not zero, it's just a null set. Because no, no one reviewed bothered. it. Or is it admitted? No one has even bothered. And so what happens is you know, a lot of these places are, they they dislike Candace Owens, so they're not going to talk about this movie. So whatever flagrant lies might be in this movie, which I, you know, I'm not, I don't know enough 
I don't know enough to say, but just the very like just the very fact of the roommates, I think should be a headline. I think that's a story. And it's nowhere. And and so the only places you could find it were uh, Eli Steele, who is the son of Shelby Steele. And together they did a movie called What Killed Michael Brown, which was an interesting documentary about Ferguson. Right? That's Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they had some platforming problems with Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. But he wrote, you know, a negative review of this basically saying that he thought both BLM and Candace Owens were hucksters. You know, that basically this is this is hucksters on hucksters. Okay. Hucksters on hucksters. Um, <laughs> the New York Post wrote some things negatively about BLM because of this. And then Rolling Stone wrote something about the premiere. Because the premiere of this yes. movie Where? in Nashville... They called it the, they had the bingo card from hell because at this weird, you know, it's one of these things where like, man, this moment is making for strange bedfellows, right? So like it was Kanye West and Ray J, you know, Kim Kardashian's ex who was in the sex tape with him. So what the, what the hell are those two doing in the same room anyway? And Kid Rock. Um, what? You know, it was just this really strange. And Jason Aldean, I think, was there. You know, it's just like, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's just bizarre. Like in Gallagher, like, he just died. Anyway, um, R.I.P. Gallagher, strange guy. Um, so, okay, so like, so like on one hand, there's this, there's this almost like unspoken agreement that we're not going to talk about Candace Owens, which is why I must have had this trembling fear, even just watching it in my room. And at the same time, so so you know you've. <sighs> So the person bringing up some of these uncomplicated truths is this untrustworthy actor, like, like person. And, and she's getting, she's going to get tremendous, like they're going to get a lot of people watching this and, and, and people aren't going to engage in it. And I just, ah, it just, it makes me crazy. And I, I really do understand even the fact that we're going to have in our, like the headlines of our podcast this time that we're talking about Candace Owens. It actually makes me nervous because any adjacency to that woman has been perceived as platforming her, right? Like we're going to actually get people, people are going to listen to this and they're going to watch this, this documentary because they're going to be interested. And then we're going to be perceived as holding it up, even though you happen to you can't stand Candace Owens. You didn't even, you I, wouldn't I, even watch this documentary at first. I, I, well, I told you I didn't have a lot of time. And I was like, well, am I going to give like the very small amount of time I have here in Israel to, am I going to devote an hour and a half of my life to Candace Owens? And in fact, I wound up not devoting an hour and a half of my life to Candace Owens. I've devoted about half an hour because I, I had to. Um, 45 minutes. I had to follow, 45 yeah. minutes. I had to go to sleep. I'm looking for something here. Um. Anyway. So, okay. I may I But I didn't make you, you watch it by the way. No, you, no, no, I just no, no, want to no, no. say that I didn't I didn't coerce you and I'm not going to coerce anybody. Like when you said I don't want to watch it, I was like fair enough. No, um, it wasn't that I, I just was didn't... really 
Yeah, you know? you've got a lot going on, and Joe Rogan's there, and it's like you want to talk to him, and I understand. Joe and I have a lot to talk about in the back of the bus. No, it was that <laughs> I. It was like, oh my god. I think I hope my my reaction was more like, oh my god, do I have to watch this? And I actually, you know, I do. I do want. I I will add something to uh, the Daily Wire where I have spent just about zero time, except about, I guess, about three months ago. I did want to watch the Matt Walsh film, What is a Woman? Everybody was talking about it. A lot of my friends were talking about it. People were saying terrible things. People were saying laudatory things. People were saying there are some interesting things. I found that, I felt felt the same way. I'm like, oh my God, am I going to, when I'm going to talk about this, then it's like you're being accused of like being in bed. By the way, poor yeah. Matt Welch often gets mistaken for, for, for Matt Walsh. So he gets all this like weird hate mail. But I did yeah, watch what can, is it? Can we just make the distinct really quickly? Matt Welch is our it, dear friend and yes. one of the co-hosts of uh, the Fifth Column and uh, editor at large at Reason Magazine. Matt Walsh with an S H is yes. a former, I think, stand-up comedian who is now a conservative political commentator who is known for kind of provocateur stunts. Yes, um, he's, yes, and he's, so he, yeah, I mean, the, like I had a, a so many people. People, when I started my podcast with you, were like, God, I know, but she's friends with that Matt Walsh. And I was like, no, <laughs> she's I'm not. not. I, I will say, so I only watched um, part of the Candace Owens thing. We'll get to that in a second. The Matt Walsh thing, I think there were some uh, parts that were interesting of what is a woman. I definitely think there were one or two people he interviewed who really really elided the question, like absolutely, li literally could not answer or would not answer what is a woman. It's like, is it really that hard? But he was also, he's also a complete provocateur and, and he does things that are just really icky. And, you know, so he kind of, for me, like, I'm sure there are people that are like, yeah, rah, rah. And other, I watched it and I was like, dude, you really would have made it better if you shot straight, but okay, that's not his brand. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Like the smugness under, like undercuts yes. that documentary. Yes. But again, I had the same, I have the same feeling, which is that like, I'm upset that these, these real complications, um, that, that these p political, like conservative political commentators have a land grab on those subjects because so many other people won't touch them. All right, let me, let me let me talk a little bit about um, the Candace Owens piece. So, you know, obviously I covered a lot of stuff having to do with uh, George Floyd. I was on the ground in Portland for all of the protests were which were ostensibly or were sort of birthed by the killing of George Floyd by police. Um, I went to Minneapolis when Derek Chauvin was being uh, sentenced. I was at George Floyd Square. I was at Cup Foods. I talked to a lot of different people. Um, I have some familiarity with this story. I did not write specifically about George Floyd. Had I written about George Floyd, I am pretty sure I would have, as a journalist, um, I would have found out where he was living, what he was doing, where he was working, you know, just try to kind of quietly gather the parts of his life so that we could understand him as a human, sort of like I just did with this story of a woman that was murdered. It's not just the fact that she's a statistic. It's you want to try to understand who this person was, what they thought was funny, what they ate. You know, you need to bring the actual person to the reader, right? Okay. So I start watching the Candace Owen things. I, I'm a little, you know, there's this shot of her like 
being an investigative journalist, like tap, tap, like, you know, the, the obligatory shot of someone Googling stuff and like talking to a producer. And, you know, as someone who actually does do this for a living, it okay, a little bug me, but oh, whatever. Okay. She goes, this was exactly the part because I didn't get through much more than, than her going and visiting this. These two people, roommates that have been living together at least three years, people are nice, funny, black folks in their 40s. You know, they're they're pr- being pretty frank with her about him. And yes, the, the thing that was really kind of shocking, shocking from so many different levels, is that no one in George Floyd's family came to get his stuff, his books, his yeah, Bible, yeah, his clothes. Yeah. Like nobody, like, are you kidding? But not only that, They'd never met. They'd never met his family. Okay, I can understand not meeting their family. People are middle aged. Maybe they you don't meet their family. That's fine. But that oh, yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. nobody shows up to get his stuff. Like that is just that's that a was level weird. Of, it was weird. Okay, all right. But here's the thing. And now we're going to get into Candace Owens a little bit. And well, well, before I get to Candace Owens, um, I will say that I think the media definitely had their narrative for what happened to George Floyd which was disgusting. I don't really care if he had drugs in his system. I don't really care that much had he been arrested before. I kind of don't. And, and you know, she definitely is giving us that too. She wants us to look at his rap sheet. I'm going to get to something else about that too later and Ms. Owens. Um, I, you know, what happened? Okay, Sorry, yeah. you, you have to say something. You're, you're, no, you're, no, 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 no. Well, I just want to, I want to slow you down a tiny little bit because I'd like to go back to this thing about, the roommates, you know, so so you agree this is very, very strange that we've never heard from these people. That's what Why I'm getting have we to. never heard from them? Because they didn't fit into the narrative. No, because first of all, there was stuff going on worldwide. You go to Belgium, there's a march. You go to D.C., there's a march. You go to Minneapolis and the city's on fire. I mean, I reported from Minneapolis, you know, after the fact and walked the burnt out buildings and the people that, you know, people that were on the ground there. There were so many stories going on at the time that it was just apparently not something talked about. You know, in journalism, there's that famous phrase, which is get the grave digger. Get the grave digger refers to Jimmy Breslin. He, you know, JFK is murdered. Everybody is gathering and they're gathering for the funeral and the people and the dignitaries and Jackie O and what happened and the conspiracy. And then, you know, Jack Ruby, just on and on and on. What did Breslin do? He went to where, where, JFK was going to be buried and he talked to the man that was digging the grave. And I'm and I'm I'm telling you as a journalist, even though I know this story very well and I've used the phrase, I get goosebumps on my arms because as a journalist, you're trying to bring the story to people. And so Jimmy Breslin had the perspicacity to go there and he got this story and that's the one we remember and it is or one of them and it is a phrase that has gone down for journalists. Get the grave digger. Okay. Candace Owens in well, a sense I feel got, like got, in this Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, in, okay. Well, so Candace Owens going. decided I'm to. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. Tur- turn I'm do it over. Again. I'm going to keep interrupting you. Yeah, I'm you gonna, will. That's I'm fine. I apologize. Yeah. There you go. So the show's going to be very long. I'm sorry that I keep interrupting yeah. you. God. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm like going <laughs> to. I love you. Okay. So I love you. Candace please, Owens please actually. Keep going. <laughs> sorry. Candace Owens actually did something that I journalistically admire. All right. She did something that other people weren't doing and something that is incredibly germane, something that all of a sudden 
punches a hole into, it's sort of like you have a piece of paper and the narrative is on the paper and that's the narrative we're all supposed to read from left to right or if you're in Israel, from right to left. And all of a sudden someone comes and starts put, sticking some little pinpricks in it. So different lights are shining through. That is valuable journalism. Here's something that I think shows you something about what, and I'm not going to, I I don't know who thought of this, if this was her idea, if one of her producers, I have no idea. But she did it, and I, I'm not going to commend her. I'm going to commend the act. Now, here's something that maybe her viewers, her like staunch, loving viewers, the, the rah, rah, rah Candace Owens, will not have a problem with, which may even love, which is she's sitting in this living room, which is like you know, a middle-class living room. The roommates are on the couch. One, you know, They're dressed in sweatshirts or T-shirts or whatever. And she's on a side chair, mm-hmm. and she is wearing a very sort of form-fitting, expensive-looking pinstripe suit. And the camera pulls back enough so you can get a shot of her five-inch. I've never seen a heel this thin. I guess that's called stilettos. I don't know. Candace yes, Owens is stilettos. so... Stilettos. Okay, I don't wear those. I wear Vans. And she's very quaffed. She's always looks quite, <laughs> you know, quaffed. She is so... She is such a... She is so incongruous to the environment. And... I don't know. I mean, as a journalist, when I'm going in to talk to people, if I'm going into a into a room where there's going to be dignitaries, I'm going to you know make sure that I look proper. Like we came over here, Israel, we were going to meet meeting politicians. You had to have something nice to wear. If I'm going to Slab City, which is a squatters colony outside of the Salton Sea, I'm going to be there probably in my you know khakis or shorts and sneakers to talk to people because the story's not about me. Let me tell our listeners something. And I will stand by this. The story is always about Candace Owens. It is, let let me underline that for you. The story for Candace Mm -hmm. Owens is always about Candace Owens. So in this shot that you've got of her, she is this sort of, you know, like dynamic, glamorous. It's about the Candace Owens brand. Candace Owens, as far as I am concerned, knows where her meat is is okay she's like one of those you know a shark that knows where to go or maybe you call it a succubus maybe you call it a scorpion that finds its next you know maybe little, you call it a succubus <laughs> maybe maybe you call it a I'm scorpion you know you sort of threw that one out there that, maybe you call uh, that, it evil incarnate i don't know maybe, <laughs> maybe uh you know you find something that has Keep got on. some like sort of caloric value for you you stick your little needle in and you suck out all the viscera and that gives you calories to where you want to go next i actually did some research on candace owens back in 2017 i was thinking i was going to write something about her i didn't write it and i it's i kind of looked for my notes before we got here it's not on this laptop it's someplace else and it's not in the cloud so in any case candace owens from a very young girl she was very yes okay you're she's okay you can't see this listeners but she's holding up her finger which means nancy I'm I'm going to interrupt you, but I'm going no, to let no, you know. No, I was I was I also did some research on Candace Owens. I thought you needed me to 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 sweep in and help you, but you've actually got oh, no, it because no, I, no, I read go. I, I deep dove and read the Wikipedia page on Candace oh, Owens. Well, we know that. But Wikipedia- before we get to that, we know we know that I really am the true journalist here because I read Wikipedia yesterday. Yes, you um, did. So you know. I just wanted to say real quickly. I just really wanted. To, I didn't want to let your slam on the stilettos go, but because. Because I just want to support being here from Dallas, Texas. Uh, I just want to support that people wear inappropriate heels all the time. And I support their right to do that. However, I cannot disagree with your uh, your observation that it's a can- the Candace Owens show, which is supported by the fact that this whole 
documentary is set up as almost a revenge for the fact that she comes out early on in the George Floyd uh, narrative, goes on line and posts a video about how she's not supporting George Floyd and she gets hugely slammed for it. Including Dave Chappelle saying he was going to kick her in the oh, pussy. Oh, and Dave or Chappelle. Yeah, Dave, yeah. like even Dave yeah. Chappelle sort of like, yeah. like yeah. throws her under the bus and calls her some ugly names. And, um, you know, this is her, this felt like her revenge. And I do feel like it is personal. And I feel like that is a, you know, that is, that is part of the weakness of this documentary. You know, that, well, it, that it succeeds despite, Bite itself, and part of why it succeeds is the abdication of some of these incredible details that never came out. And I'm still racking my brain about why they didn't come out. You know, like like did people just not go to these roommates? Did they get so like did were things happening so fast that there were just so many other like pieces to track? I don't know. But anyway, oh. we're gonna get to the character. What okay. Were, were things happening so fast? This is a story that people stayed on for a year. Okay? This was yeah, not yeah, happening yeah, yeah. Right, so fast. Right, right, You okay? had time. You had time to go people, back to it. People yeah, had yeah, yeah. time, and I don't know why. I mean, it was a bit, I mean, it was a bit of mayhem uh, in Minneapolis. I mean, that's for sure, and people are reporting other things, and there are maybe starrier things. I don't know. I, was, I wasn't reporting on that part of the story at that time. Okay, so I'm going to say what I remember, and then you can fill in the Wikipedia part. I, I will add, we were doing something the other day, and someone that we're with quoted a number to a dignitary and saying, well, we know that there's like 600,000 so-and-sos and whatever. And the guy's like, no, it's 2.5 million. He's like, but I just read it on Wikipedia that it was six, 600,000. Yeah. It's like, well, there you go. Um, so Candace Owens Dear as a Wikipedia. I don't remember where she grew up, but wherever she grew up, maybe, oh no, I do Connecticut, someplace in Connecticut. She, yeah, she um, grew up in Connecticut. She, she was, I believe she was working at a Blockbuster and something happened in the parking lot of the Blockbuster. Some teenagers, there was some teenage scuffle of some kind. I think she was working there. She may have just been at the in the parking lot at the Blockbuster. Something happened and there was a, I think, believe there was a physical altercation. And please forgive me and go check my facts. I just don't remember. I'm sorry. I haven't looked at this information since 2017. But she brought, she brought us lawsuit. Um, not just against, I don't think these teenagers that she had an altercation with, I believe they were girls, but against her school or maybe the township and she won. And is that right? Am I getting yeah. this right, Sarah? Mm, um, so Wikipedia, which we've already established is not necessarily is, a great source, tells this story a little bit differently, which okay. is that in 2007, when she was 17 years old, she got a bunch of racist death threat voicemails from white boys at the school. This is what Wikipedia says. And then she sued the school saying that the school hadn't protected her and they settled for about $38,000. So the blockbuster detail, which I enjoyed, is not a part of what I read here, but could be part of it. I just don't know. I recall when doing this that so these the boys, and who knows, teenage boys can be teenage boys, um, denied doing this. It didn't matter. She won her case. Um, from that point on, as far as I can understand, um, Candace Owens basically um, was on a mission um, to expose people that she felt had exposed her. There was another thing that might be on the. Mm -hmm. She started. You, you're going to correct me again. I, I, I apologize to our listeners. I don't remember exactly. She started an anti-doxing 
uh, uh, site, I believe. Yeah. Um, where yeah, she was, was going to like degree one eighty. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, that's yeah, no, something no. different. It was called uh, before. Okay, so before she did that, I just want to want to point this out. Before two thousand and sixteen, which is where you're going to get to, she was uh, the CEO of a uh, something called Degree One Eighty, which was like a marketing agency that also had a blog. And one of the interesting things to note about this is that it was basically, you know, it was frequently posting these anti-conservative and anti-Trump things. Um, and there was a piece like that was like mocking his penis size. And, you know, I think at the time she identified as a, a liberal. She writes a 2015 column uh, where where she conser- she criticizes conservative Republicans. She she writes about the, quote, batshit crazy antics of the Republican Tea Party and writes, the good news is they will eventually die off peacefully in their sleep, we hope. And then we can get right on with the obvious social change that needs to happen immediately. So So that's 2015. And then in 2016... Um, she launches a website called Social Autopsy, which is supposed to track bullies online. So I'll, I'll let you keep going from there. I did not know. That's a really interesting thing that like her kind of raison d'etre is to expose people that she feels have exposed her. Right. Well, right. And my understanding about to the bully bullying, the bullied. Right. To bully the bullied. And so the my understanding with that site is the anti-bullies. No, wait, did I site. say that right? To bully, to bully the, no, to bully the bulliers. Sorry. No, you bully the bullies. To bully somebody, the bullies. Somebody, somebody bullied you. You bully the bullies. So you're you're going to bully the bullies. So she then gets this site where people, I guess they sign up people's names. I don't know. She exposes them all. She basically doxes them. Is is Am I getting this right? Like she's complaining well, that people okay, are getting bullied what, and doxed online. I'll tell you what Wikipedia online. says. Okay. I'll yeah, tell you what tell Wikipedia us, says. Tell us. It says that social autopsy um, was supposed to track bullies online by encouraging people to take screenshots and send them to the website where they'd be categorized by name. And this was seen by people on all sides as akin to public shaming or doxing. And it was roundly criticized. Um, and so uh, and for whatever reason, she, she. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So this dies too. This dies rather rather quickly. So this is 2016. So what else happens in 2016? Well, Donald Trump is is elected president, and um, very quickly, this woman who has just hoped that all the uh, the conservatives would die in their sleep, she becomes a darling of Trump. Why is she a darling? Well, I can name a couple of reasons. First of all, she's praising him to the heavens. That's something he likes, and he she's also a young pretty woman. She's also black. And, you know, people are kind of shouting about the fact that he's a racist and she's basically shouting back that he's not. And he's, you know, he's, they're very chummy. As far as I recall, he and Owens had a lot of appearances together. She never worked in the White House or anything like that, but she was a really staunch ally of Trump's and it got her attention. Am I, am I, sorry, what does Wikipedia say about this, Sarah? I I wanted to, (laughs) <laughs> Wikipedia. Wikipedia <laughs> wants to point out that uh, just something about this pivot moment. I just I, yeah. before, you know, because we said that she was anti-Trump and now she's Trump. And so I just want to I want to like pause on this pivot moment. One of the things that happens after this site called Social Autopsy is that she gets piled on by everyone. But she gets championed by Milo Yiannopoulos and Mike Cernovich, who are two figures in what 
was at the time being called sort of like the alt-right, right? And they're both provocateur figures. And uh, they side with her. And then and then uh, Candace, without, according to Wikipedia here, Wiki says there's no actual proof of this, but she blames the progressives for her doxing. You know, even though it, it seems like it was kind of coming from both sides, but she decides to blame the progressives. So sh there's a quote from her here that she says, I became a conservative overnight. I realized that liberals were the actual racists. Liberals were actually the trolls. Social autopsy is why I'm conservative. And I so, think this is one of the through lines in her work, which is like, it's it's the, you know, the good, who you thought were the good guys are actually the bad guys. Um, and she does it with liberals. She does it with the media. Um, she does it with a lot of different things. Let me so ask you anyway, questions. so that's where, yes, you can ask Let me, me ask you a, a question. question or Wikipedia. Yes, ma'am. Do, do you think that people change? She, she, it's her own words. Do people change overnight from understanding that the political or whatever position they took so staunchly that they were willing to say that those other people should die in their sleep. Do you think overnight the scales fall from your eyes and you now realize that those people you thought were bad ones are actually the good ones? And it's the people that you momentarily before, it could have been seconds before, thought were the good people are the bad ones. Does that happen overnight? I'm going to answer that for you. I, you know, that, that, that doesn't happen okay. overnight, Sarah. Okay, so well, uh, let there me, let are things called more. You know, there are there are these epiphanies, right? The epiphany is something that does happen in a human life. Okay, but it happens so rarely, and it is it is something that is used again and again by books and and stories. You know, like like it, it's it's in the addiction story. Like I just decided to quit drinking. I hit bottom and I quit drinking. I I stopped overnight. I am very skeptical of all those claims because I think change happens slowly and stubbornly and almost never instantly. And when you hear someone say, I became a conservative overnight, I think that you have to be skeptical of this claim. What is actually going on here? This is somebody who probably didn't have many like very deeply held cons uh, political views. In fact, like even though I quoted that that one thing according to Wikipedia that she wrote, most of the stuff she wrote for that other website was not political at all. One of them was like, "I can sleep with your ex boyfriend if I want to," and the other one was about like um, getting prescription pills without a prescription. You know, so she, I don't, I don't think she had many principles. So, but you know, but what she changed was who she thought was attacking her, and that can okay, so happen suddenly. Okay, well, but it can, and 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 in fact, for Candace Owens, it happens quite often. Because what happened to Trump a couple of weeks ago? Did would, did Trump kind of shit the bed in terms of you know his all the people that he was backing and very publicly backing? They basically lost, right? It was a big God, humiliation. I love that. I love it, it big, so much. Okay, all right. So just coincidentally, in terms of uh, Ms. Owen's epiphanies, again, just crazy timing. The heavens opened a day or two after that happened to Trump, where he went on and basically said, you know, for the first time, I am seeing what kind of person he is. And he was rude to me. So she's not backing him anymore. God, isn't that timing incredible, Sarah? Isn't that incredible that- She's it's very canny. Like, I mean, she needs to drop just, that. She needs to drop yeah, that, Trump. I mean, it just comes- it just, right it just comes to her again. So 
I, yeah, I, I'm gonna, the strike I'm of lightning stand, that made her realize. Right, again, that she's know. now on whatever other side. Candace Owen will always be on Candace Owens' side. And Candace Owen needs calories in order to move forward. Her latest snack was actually quite a large one. It could have been, I guess, a $1.5 billion snack, which was Kanye West. Okay. She, well, who was in bed with Kanye? And I don't know the details. Maybe Wikipedia does. Who, when Kanye West was in the absolute throes of his implosion, who was at his side defending him? Who was it? Oh, funny. It was Candace Owens. But who is now still standing? Oh, it's funny. It's Candace Owens. It's crazy, isn't it, Sarah? Just, just, it's just a complete coincidence every time. Candace Owens is on Candace Owens' side. Okay, I have not seen the rest of the documentary. I am grateful for, uh, you know, if she's if she's given. I mean, I, again, I think the information about the roommate is very interesting. I haven't watched the rest of it. I may watch the rest of it. I don't know, but I the don't sec- trust her. I don't trust her. I know. I don't either. I know. I know. And that's why I wish that someone with deep knowledge of this case would engage with the material and tell me where they feel like the mistakes might be. But instead, you know, you get cone of silence and, you know, and then, you know, a bunch of people saying you should watch this. It's really interesting. So um, the second half of the of the documentary concerns kind of two things. One is they go to Minneapolis, which, you know, I did not realize that the area where George Floyd died um, is now an autonomous zone. Oh, yeah. I've been there. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I don't okay, know. They, I know blo- they, they blocked it off on uh, like three or four sides with concrete barriers. You couldn't drive there. The cops couldn't get in there. So an interest, there were so many more yeah. car thefts in Minneapolis uh, over the past, yeah. you know, I guess it was this, that they parked the cars down there because the cops can't get there. So you have all these stolen cars that are parked down there. It's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. I mean, so they, they, made, they talk about the rise of crime and she walks through the, she walks through the area with a black pastor from the area. That's kind of talking about how, you know, how much damage was done to this to this part of, um, to the, I wrote this an article about city. this. Um, you know, okay. We'll good. include a we'll link, link for a reason. I, I have a friend and, that um, lives nearby you know, and, and it, he, sorry, never mind. You were going to say, <laughs> no, I just said I have a friend what? that lives what? nearby You've there. Hanging. I have a friend that, well, I think we have okay. a little time lag here too. I'm in Israel. She's in Texas. Um, uh, I have a friend that lives in the area. So it was about a year later. It was during the Derek Chauvin trial. So he and I walked the area and he kind of told me what it was like during and after and to, to live in the area right around George Floyd Square, which is what it's called now. So, so there's also an attempt to kind of get Derek Chauvin's story. Um, th- that part is not terribly successful. Um, no, it's not. It's not. I would... I would like, oh, you saw, you saw that. Okay. I saw that. So yeah, she can't get the mom. Yeah. She got the mom to talk. She couldn't get the mom to talk to her for legal reasons. And then she got two of his former colleagues to talk. And, um, you know, uh, they basically say like, you know, seems like a nice guy. It's, it's, it's just not very effective. Um, and that part, yeah, that part doesn't work. The other part of the documentary, uh, 
is that she looks into the financials. And so, um, you know, she's going through, like we've, we, you and I have spoken about the fact that, uh, the the ninety million dollars was raised by BLM, and a lot of it was misused. I mean, we had million dollar mansions that were bought. Um, a there, lot of it's missing. There's there no was, like they don't know where a lot went. of it's missing, and so so you know so she digs into where a lot of this money went, and and there's a strange subplot that I didn't quite understand, like where it was going. I still don't know what to make of it, that more than $2 million was donated to trans um, organizations, some of which like never actually materialized. Like they were like, they were like groups that, that got going, but then the pandemic hit and they never, they never did anything. So all this money went to them and, uh, and then 32 million went into the stock market because, you know, America is systemically racist and like, you don't believe in the system. And so, so. Oh, I hope they didn't put it into uh, into uh, Bitcoin or whatever that dude's name is. I hope they didn't put it into like, FTX. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so the I think that this is honorable work done by a dishonorable person. And so, if that's the case, uh, if if you're if you if you have let that just a terrible weird analogy, but if you have like a really really shaky hand for some reason. It's going to be hard to get to draw a straight line. I'm not asking I want, you know, everybody to do their documentary in a straight line, but I I I don't find her she has a weird agenda, I think. And if your agenda is to continue being a Daily Wire star or to to shine uh Candace Owens star, I just don't think you're you've got your eye on the wrong prize, okay? Your the story you're writing the story, but the story is not about you. And in my estimation, the story is always about Candace Owens. So, I mean, you- people really hated Michael Moore, and they felt like he was agendaed, and they felt like that his um, his his documentaries were um, unfair in the way that they presented the stories and the details. You know. Um, I, I remember working in a publication where the the movie critic was just couldn't stand him, and she gave all his movies like you know like one star. Um, but but we watched them and we argued about them, and there was discussion about it. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and that you, even not, if you didn't, that, that's, that's right. not it, what what happens well, here. I wonder though. I wonder if because we weren't as completely siloed as we are now, I wonder if we could sort of like say, I disagree with Michael Moore. Oh my God. I can't believe he's kind of like just showing the information this way. But if like, I don't know if there was like, if there was like a little more room for disagreement or kindness or whatever, as opposed to right now, it's like, you're absolutely right. You started this properly by saying you're not even allowed to watch this stuff. You're not allowed to read this book. Comedians are not allowed to say this thing because if you say this thing, then you're obviously on the other side. That is the environment we live on. So you're correct. You and I, obviously, are going to talk about the stuff we want to talk about. I'm not on anybody's particular side here, but I am allowed to have an opinion about her. And I am allowed to have an opinion on the of how we tell the stories of others, especially the tragedies of others. And I think to take the tragedy of someone else, whether it's 
you're making a hero out of someone or you're making a villain out of somebody and you're not going to see any shades whatsoever because it doesn't fit your narrative. Both of those are dishonest journalism. I mean, one may not be seeking to stand in the spotlight quite as much as the other, but I, I, I mean, I don't think in the main, we definitely, definitely gave the George Floyd story a lot of attention. That is for sure. But I'm not sure how many people addressed it as 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 it as properly as it might have been addressed. So can I tell a little story? Please. Please. Yeah. Um, please. I live in Dallas, Texas. Bless my heart. And Dallas, <laughs> Texas was the site of one of uh the most, you know, the biggest tragedies in American history, um, which was the shooting of JFK. Uh, when the president was shot, it absolutely, you know, it was a kind of George Floyd moment in the sense that it just absolutely rocked everyone. It was an incredible shame to Dallas. We felt responsible. We didn't talk about it. For decades, you, people in Dallas didn't mention it. They they weren't allowed to talk about this thing that happened because it was so deeply embarrassing. The city wouldn't memorialize it. We wouldn't acknowledge it in any way. And in absence of that, because people never stopped being fascinated, people never stopped coming to Dallas, a conspiracy museum opened. And the conspiracy museum became the biggest tourist attraction in Dallas. Because nobody, they wouldn't talk about the real, what actually happened. You know, in the cone of silence where you're not allowed to talk about things, conspiracies thrive. Absolutely. And that is one of the Absolutely. most animating, uh, you know, <laughs> and that is sort of like the birth. <laughs> I don't know if it's the birth, but like of, of the conspiracy age that I feel like we're living in right now. You know, in the 1980s, late 80s, early 90s, Dallas finally decided to open the Sixth Floor Museum, which is... And was was opening the door on this history that we refuse to acknowledge. And it is, is in the book? the book depository. It That's is downtown. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You can actually go into the book depository where it took place. And, you know, th there there is now like I think this is only like like five years ago, maybe there's like a plaque down there now on the grassy knoll. Until then, they did not acknowledge it. And I think that like there are consequences when you don't talk about the truth and the complicated, painful truth of what happened. So that's the story I wanted uh, to tell. Well, it's just like I used the little image of the piece of paper. You you can pretend that it didn't happen or it didn't, or it happened this one particular way, but of course things are, are germinating on the other side. And so, you know, they poked a hole in the paper basically by putting the book repository. More information is good information. You know, the, uh, in Kindly Inquisitors, Jonathan Rausch writes, you know, let the information fight it out and the best information will win. There's, there, there's never really one truth, but there are certainly things that you can stand a little more solidly on. Um, than, than certain conspiracy theories. Um, so we had a couple of other things we wanted to talk about. Uh, one was um, Dave Chappelle on Saturday Night Live, which I did not see uh, at the time. Um, did you watch it in real time? Did you watch it on Saturday Night Live? Would you Saturday ever Night have Live? watched Saturday Night Live in real time? Would you ever have I, watched that if you well, had been I here? Really, uh, probably 
not, but maybe if Dave Chappelle was on, I would have. Yeah, I might have. Um, I have seen it. Um, my husband and I used to watch it uh, a little bit um, when I was in Portland. Um, I haven't seen it in real time in a long time. And then when I tried to watch it here, uh, in, by the link that you sent me, nothing would work. It says you're not allowed to watch it in this country. I had, don't think that had anything to do with anti-Semitism. What? But it's just like, no, no, I, I know that would be a conspiracy. No, I don't know. Are you I, sure? I, I, no, but I think I've, I've, I've had this happen before. It's just like, you can't watch this in this region. It just said, you can't watch this in this country. However, okay. um, Saturday Night Live on their on their Twitter thread did have it in two parts. So I watched it. Uh, I watched both parts. I actually watched it twice because I, I thought the Trump stuff was actually kind of interesting. So, so Dave Chappelle uses the first half of his 15-minute monologue, which apparently I read, I'm not sure this is true, he read a different monologue when they were rehearsing. And then he sprung yeah, the real apparently one. The stuff that the stuff that was about the stuff that was about Kanye, he didn't drop until he was live. And as people probably yeah. know, there were a lot of people, or not a lot of people, but some writers on Saturday Night Live that was were protesting that Dave Chappelle was going to be uh, hosting the show at all. He's, I, I find, I was it. I thought it was I, just one writer. I I couldn't. I dig. Mm -hmm. I dug in. There were there were headlines that were like SNL walkout, and then it was like there was one writer. I couldn't find anybody else. Maybe there was more. I saw a headline that said writers, and then I saw one gal, I think. Um, I don't know. He's, you know, he's just going to, it seems to me that he's just going to be like an ever, an ever controversial figure, like no matter what. I, I've said this before on our show. I, I remember watching the, um, the special he did. I believe it was during COVID when he kind of did this small thing in his town, like outside. It was so generous. I find him to be, I find him to, first of all, be extremely funny most of the time. Sometimes not as funny as other, but hey, you know what? He's going to constantly be satisfying Nancy Rommelman. That's not his job. I find him to be funny. I find him to be incredibly bright and incisive and willing to say things in way, you know, that a lot of us are thinking, but we don't have the skills to say it the way he does. I watched the monologue. I thought some of it was funny, um, including about the two words you should never put in a row, which is the Jews or les Suifs, as we've been saying here in French for some reason today. Um, um, I thought some of it I didn't really understand. I didn't understand the add your own captions to Schindler's List. I also would say he kind of capped that segment by like kind of like wink, wink, like, well, yeah, we're not saying, you know, that the Jews run Hollywood, but you know, he did lose $1.5 million or something like that. I don't remember what the punchline was, but I would, I would push back on that a little by saying, listen, you know, who runs things right now? The fucking mob runs things right now. And if you're yelling loud enough about someone that you don't think should be around, you're going to get it not just from your CEOs and C-class people. You're going to get it from your shareholders and you're going to get it from your customers and you're going to get it constantly blasting in your face. I remember Adidas, and let's go to Kanye West for something for a second. You know, they were the last ones that had like not dropped him. And then they did. They just couldn't, you know, they, they it's not worth it. He's like, he is a liability now to them as far as they're concerned. I told you, did we talk about last time that we, that we recorded that I just really wished he had someone take him by the elbow and say, dude, let's go someplace for six weeks. Just like chill out. Like you really, right. you really, you are having, you are, you are having a mental breakdown in public. Look, I'm not even going to address. Right. And then I, and I pointed out that, that P Diddy tried to do that. And, and when it slid into his, you know, text messages and was like, Hey dude, let's, let's cut this out. And that's when Kanye did the whole DEFCON three thing. 
So I mean, was, it's not like I, people haven't tried. I have it's to not tell like people you haven't tried to help. Okay, uh, fair enough. But I have to say, if you haven't watched, if you just want to watch the first minute of the Saturday Night Live thing, which of course we'll put a link here. It's on there. It's on the Twitter feed. If you can't find it elsewhere, I couldn't. Uh, it, oh my God, Chappelle was so funny. It's like, yeah, Kanye was tired. He's like, I think I'm going to take a little nap. And when I wake up, I'm going to go DEFCON 3 on the shoes. And then Chappelle's like, I, I go to sleep. So I laugh so hard. He's like, he's like, I go to sleep. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Um, I also, I have to say, I and I, I don't know. I so this- hard at this monologue. Okay, I, I, yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna qualify all of this by saying I don't know if I was super busy. I don't know if I had a blind spot for not being interested. I don't. I didn't really read all of the things that Kanye was saying, all of the craziness. So I can't really comment on the depth of it or the the pain that people felt from it. I don't know how pointed it was. I take it it was not good. Um, but you know things get blown up pretty crazily. Um, but you know. Do you have any idea where he is now? What's happening with this person? Kanye? No, I don't know. No, I I, I don't know. Um, I wanted to go back to something that you said. Um, You said that the mob runs things now. And I was confused for the briefest second because I thought you meant the mafia. But you actually (sighs) mean the internet mobs. And it was the first time that I realized (laughs) that that name... (laughs) (laughs) that that name you know which one which once referred to you know underground criminals running something has now transferred onto the mass of people online um which is really interesting i hadn't thought of that before so i am tony i am you meant but yeah yeah the mob that's right we're the mob we're the mob who do you want to be name your character um no, absolutely. Right. I mean, you, you, you know. Listen, there are there are certain things that are going to happen when you have a campaign. When someone who is representing your brand has just is being crucified, and you know, maybe rightfully so, maybe wrongfully so. I mean, we've seen these things happen. Let, let's take a J.K. Rowling. I don't think anything she said is particularly insane, but a lot of people do. She still writes her books, and okay, but you know, other people won't work with her. You have. You have a company, all right? You have a company that's worth however many billions of dollars. When you think that you're going to hemorrhage X billion of dollars, your your shareholders are going to come in and say, guess what? We know that you might want to stand by a J.K. Rowling or you might want to stand by... I mean, some people have. Spotify stood by um, Joe Rogan, and I don't really think they're any of the worst for it, right? Um, but obviously, Kanye became way, way, way too much of a liability. And I'm, I am sure that their shareholders were like, he's got to go. I mean, I don't know. I haven't read about it enough. I, sh- I, I should, but I don't want to just be blathering on here. But yeah, we get loud and, and, and heads roll. So uh, Chappelle, again, so he does this 15-minute yeah. monologue. I think it's worth watching. I laughed so hard, um, you know, which I just feel like is the, whatever my brain is doing, <laughs> that's your metric right there. I mean, it's just like, what is this about? It's about whether or not you laugh or not. It's not we- about whether, you know, it, it, it necessarily made you, like this is, laughter is a body's acknowledgement of truth whether or not the brain wants to agree and cosign. Okay. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's so dangerous is, is that it, it bypasses the intellect. 
and it goes straight to whether or not you find it funny. It's an instant reaction as opposed to a processed intellectual one. And, you know, there is good commentary out there on both sides as to whether or not his segment on the Jews, on uh, on Trump. Kanye there and was- Kyrie Irving. Well, hold on, hold on. But, uh, not before we get to Trump, on that segment in particular is critiquing anti-Semitism and its stereotypes or reinforcing and normalizing them. I don't have the answer for you. Uh, I I was glad to see Jon Stewart come out and defend mm-hmm. um, defend Kanye West and say like, um, if you think this is normalizing anti-Semitism, go into the comment section. Like it's been normal for a long time, and you know, and then and then there's other people that that have a a different perspective, and and I'll link to you know there was a a, a good piece in the Atlantic by. Um, I think his name is Yair Rosenberg. But anyway, they're different. You can come down on on other sides of it. And we can have that d- discussion, and I'm certainly not the expert. But to me, as an audience member, the question is, do I laugh? And I laughed a lot. I thought this 15 minutes was tight and incisive. It was incredibly timely, but it also had observations about our world that I felt like, God damn, I've never thought of that before. He does go into a segment on Trump and Trump's appeal to um, t- appeal to people, which which people have spent the last six years trying to pin down. Why do people like this guy? And he called him an honest liar. And I was like, that's it. Well, he that's recapped, the phrase. He recapped the um, debate or one of the debates between uh, Trump and Clinton very incisively. And, you know, the things that Trump was saying that, you know, it was funny. I remember when he, she accused him, uh, Clinton was like, he doesn't pay his taxes. And Trump's like, yeah, because that makes me smart. And, you know, you're sitting at home watching this and going, oh, what a horrible person. Yeah, but wait, I hate fucking paying taxes. And he's like, you want to fix it? Exactly. Fix the tax code. You're like, you, I mean, look, do we have to throw clear and say we're not fans of Trump? I was not a fan of Trump. But in the he 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 was saying things that sort of as as Chappelle is saying, like people are all of a sudden like the pinions are rearranging in your head. Like, wait a minute, this whole thing I thought was kind of fucking scammy is kind of scammy, you know. And if and if it's also a system, if it's also a system that can put Donald Trump up there and win, then yeah, maybe there's something kind of weird going on in the system, right? So, I mean, I, I just I think. One of the reasons that I I love Chappelle so much and I've come to just like rely on his voice and is I think he's so deep and his vision is so incisive and he can see like I don't I don't always agree with him. All right. I don't No, That is why would I ever always agree with everyone? I don't even always agree with you. And I love you. And I don't want to always agree with everyone because then I would start wondering why I wasn't, you know, why I'm so in lockstep. Anyway, he is, he is, he, he see, he has the ability to see clearly and he is a straight shooter and it makes a direct hit. And he's also, he's just a, He's a great writer. I mean, these lines, he has a line about Melania. 
that she's the kind of chick James Bond would smash but not trust. And I was like, that is exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. right. We're done. Like you, I mean, you've just created a world with one phrase. That's right. Yeah. And we're done here. That is perfect. Um, at the end of the monologue, you know, he, he gets a little, I mean, he says like, it shouldn't be this hard to talk to people. And I think those are the moments when Dave Chappelle really like, like he hits my heart. Like I need, I need, yes, I feel that way. I want you to speak for me. Like, it should not be this hard to talk to people right now. And I I just love that, you know, look, he's a divisive figure, but he is also someone that makes a lot of us feel like we're less alone and like what we're seeing is what other people are seeing. And he gives words to the complicated feelings that we have and weren't quite able to name. That is art. It's politics, but it's also, it's, it's art. Right. Or it's art, um, but it's also politics. So yeah, we're fans, yeah, Dave. There you go. Call us. Uh, um, you want to talk real super quick about uh, the, the, the Twitter flame? This is so old. God, this feels like it's a month ago. I don't know how long it's been since uh, Elon Musk, you know, Elon Musk bought Twitter and, and it's everybody- It's been 500 just, years oh, since it's Elon 500 Musk years, took over Twitter. You know- it made me really remember, I remember I, I'm never, ever, guys, if you're trying to reach me on Facebook, don't, because that is, I'm never there. Like I check in like once a month on Facebook just to see if I've gotten some like work private message or something. Um, but I remember about 10 or 12 years ago, someone saying, look, if you want to, if you want to leave Facebook, you don't need to make an announcement about it. Just go. Right. <laughs> and with Twitter, you know, Twitter, it was like, I'm leaving. I'm never, I can't believe what's going to happen here. It's like, Listen, you don't need to tell us. Just dip if you're not happy about it. But you okay, know but what's going to happen. What? What? Then you don't get it any would, performance it was, points. They don't, but they don't go. Uh, it's been like no, being at one of these parties go. where people announce every every five minutes they're going. And you're like, you hug <laughs> them. And then they're, you see them again in line for the bathroom. And you're like, what are, what are you doing here? Why? <laughs> Everybody just keeps announcing their exit. And I'm like, you, bitch, you said yesterday you were leaving and now you're here again. What are you doing? Just By go. the way, Twitter has been kind of a shit show. And there's, you know, like I, I, I don't think that um, Elon Musk uh, is doing himself some solids by some of the way that he's. I, I don't even um, I don't even understand what's going on with the blue. The check marks are blue. They're not blue. Are, You're gonna buy it. You're yeah. not gonna buy it. I, I don't understand yeah, what but I also I read that and then, and then there's this whole this performance art that's going on under people uh imitating other companies and all this craziness. Um you read what? I, I read that um they you know it was supposed to be sort of like a money grab, like first of all. I didn't understand. I mean, I, look, okay, I guess I can understand some people like, oh, really? I want a blue check mark. That's going to be so cool. So they would be willing to pay for it. I, I don't really see what's so cool about having a blue, blue check mark. And then like knowing you paid for it, it's kind of weird. But in any case, um, 
But that didn't it didn't really make the kind of money he thought it was going to make. I think something like 68,000 people, I'm sure I'm getting that wrong, ask Wikipedia, uh, signed up for it. So it wasn't really a money thing. And I guess there were a lot of problems and people were being horrible. So that's gone now, right? That's already scrapped. The, the, the buy the blue yeah, check I, mark I think, is already... I think, that's sort of, I think that fell apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I... Yeah, it was just I'm, so... It's just so strange. And then he fired some people. Um, they had to hire him back. That had spoke, they had to hire him back. And then there were some people that, like, criticized him on Twitter and they got canned. And so people are sort of like, wow, this is like the free speech guy. <laughs> Seems awful authoritarian. Um, I, I will say, I don't... We've talked about this before. Like, maybe don't trash talk your boss on, on Twitter. Like, maybe that's yeah, not of, a good idea. Like... Probably not a good idea. I mean... Nah, in any not. case, maybe if not they want to leave, let them. Um, and then what did they start? They started some new new site, Walrus or Waldrop or something like that. What's the new Mastodon. one? Mastodon. Mastodon. How I I haven't I haven't even looked. I have I really have you looked at it? Have you seen what what it looks like? No, no, I haven't even looked at it. Um, no, I have not. I have been enjoying Twitter more. Oh, you know, good. I, have always yes i've always been a little bit tortured by twitter because as i've i, I think i've shared on this before you know I, i'm not i'm just not very good at it and i i resent it basically for my own failings but it's it's like i it's for me twitter is like coming to a dinner party where like everybody's been talking and you're kind of like trying to think of something clever to say and you're like oh but every, everybody's already <laughs> said it before so it, really, it just it brings back all these ancient feelings of of just like I don't have anything to say. So um there's something freeing to me about this like shit show that's going on. Maybe I feel like people aren't watching, like I have less performance anxiety or something, or it just feels like I'm just like, I don't know. It just feels really fun. Like just get in there and throw some stuff out there and and who cares? Cause Elon's, well, you know, failing worse than anybody else. Um, so you 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 can't you look you good. can't upstage him. You know, I will say there was one funny tw- tweet that was like Elon Musk t- tweeting every five minutes and talking about how busy he is constantly is the most relatable thing he's ever done. You know, he's constantly on there tweeting and saying he has so much work to do. And it's like, you are on, get off Twitter. Get off Twitter. His, his he he is. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he's writing all his tweets, but some of his trolling was just like a one like somebody came on i can't remember what it was it was like a superstar a list name was like and elon Musk, you may meaning me and he's like thank you for your input that will be eight dollars <laughs> just like just <laughs> so funny oh, um, he's such a troll he's such a troll well, and i have really mixed feelings about him now i mean like i've always really liked him but i'm starting to think yeah he he's might, human he might he's human no, he's not. It's not just that he's human. It's not that he's human. It's um that he might be operating more out of like ego and revenge, in the in the same ways that we Could were be. talking about Candace Owens, Could you be. know. And so, so I, I don't know, but but look, it's it's never boring. It's never boring over there on Twitter land. You know where you know where else it's not boring? Israel. It's not boring. It is not boring. Okay. I I came here early. I came on the 7th and I spent a few nights in Tel Aviv with my friend Yael at her mother's beautiful apartment. My God, it was so great overlooking the Mediterranean. Then I hooked up with a couple of journalists who I think are keeping a little bit of a low profile right now. So I, I won't uh, mention who they are, but you, you all know who they are. And um, we went and uh, we went and uh, toured for 
two and a half days with Bit Salem. Bit Salem is an extremely left-wing sort of organization that uh, works on behalf of Palestinians uh, in in the West Bank and uh, in Hebron. And we we did you know we we did some very interesting touring. Some of it just unbelievably depressing. Some of it informative. Um, definitely from a particular point of view. Um, I still found uh, some of it interesting. I did write one piece. I had people write in, including a settler who was like, Nancy, I appreciate you. Right? This is on my my Substack. Uh, not not this Substack. Another one. You can see nancyrollman.substack.com. Basically, I have lovely, lovely readers over there. They're always respectful and kind. I don't. I haven't had any trolls yet. Um, and he said, you know, if you want like another another version of this story, and 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 I had a nice conversation with him. Um, then we, I, I will say, one of the leaders of the tour we were on sort of tipped her hand to me at the end, not meaning to, in something that she probably wouldn't have thought I would have even thought two things about. But afterwards, I kind of, I kind of felt like I was being a, just a little bit manipulated, even though it is true mm. that the situations over there are incredibly dire. Then I hooked up with the crew or with here, which is we're going, you know, we're going to the sort of bigger you can call them in air quotes, more touristy um, places. We went to uh, the, we went to ancient Jerusalem. We went to the city of David. I went to the Western wall. That was very moving to me. Um, We're meeting with like different journalists. We met with this uh, one uh, journalist at the Jerusalem post. Uh, I actually had lunch with her too earlier. uh, Lahav Harkov. She told us all about the elections, people that are not keeping up with the elections, the Israeli elections, which took place roughly around the same time of um, as the American elections. They voted and uh, Netanyahu is back in. Um, but we also have a very mm-hmm. right wing, sort of right wing racist uh, kind of uh, uh, flank here, uh, led by a guy whose last name is Ben Gavir. Um, he has, uh, he is, um, his platform basically calls for stripping citizenship from a lot of um, um, mm. Israeli Palestinians. He's also been previously a, um, a, uh, uh, a an admirer of Baruch Goldstein, who in Hebron a number of years ago went into a mosque and, and mowed down many, many Muslims with a machine gun. We actually wound up going oh, to his tomb, which is a place where in this particular area is sort of, he's sort of honored. I mean, on his tomb, uh, oh, it's yeah. written in Hebrew. You know, okay. he is, he is a, he is basically a martyr. He's, you know, a blood, you know, no blood on his huh. hands, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's really gross i mean it's 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 so yeah. gross that you stand there and 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 are trying to take in these two things at once that you've got a people that can call this person a martyr and in fact the area now where he mowed down these muslims is basically cleared of muslims so he's even more of a martyr because now the settlers are like look see he he got done what we needed done and to know that and a real admirer of her his until i guess a couple of years ago had a poster of him on the wall um uh, is now uh, is is someone wow. who is now you know a, a part of the government here in um in uh in in Israel? It's it's weirdly disturbing. Depending on who you talk to, uh, it's either a nothing to see here, not an not an issue. He's not a terrorist. He's made amends. He's a different person now. Or 
we are frankly terrified with what could possibly happen. I would say of those, and and of course, all kinds of views in between. Of course, there are the people that are just like, wow, never, now everyone's going to be wholesale slaughtered. It's sort of like, you know, you're covering, when I was covered the po- protest in Portland, you'll get on fo- on Fox News, it's, you know, you know, uh, a murderer is coming to your town and, and on MSNBC, there's nothing to see here. So of course, you're going to have these same sorts of things here. I tend to think that if you start to vote people that are more extremist, um, who have, you know, um, have a venerated terrorists or venerated people that I would consider terrorists, um, I think you do have a chance that your government will be swayed. To what extent, I don't know. We were spoken to uh, today by someone who was newly elected or newly installed. I don't really know exactly how the system of government works in here, though I know they're, they're, it's put to a vote. And he was pretty dismissive about the fact, oh, nothing's going to happen. Come on, come on, come on, you Americans. And I I was, I actually got quite hot under the collar about it. I was snorting through my nose. It's one of my, my fellow participants said, like, what are you doing over there? I was like, well, I'm a little snorting through your nose. I was like, you do it not snorting, snow? but I was like, I was like, I was exhaling audibly. I didn't realize that my inner You're like turmoil, harumphing. Harumphing. <laughs> but let me tell you a few of the other more interesting things that we did. We also went to um, Yad Vashem, which is the uh, Holocaust Memorial Museum, which was very moving, uh, of course. Um, Interesting, doesn't really pull punches. I was glad to be there. It's also quite, quite beautiful. Um, The architect's name is, um, oh, what is his name? I can't remember, but it's, it's, it's actually just Joe it's Rogan. quite beautiful. No, yeah, Joe. Joe had a little time, and he, um, he, uh, uh, oh, what is his he name? He built it there. Yeah, um, we went to. We met with different Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, yesterday, we went to. Uh, this is amazing. We went. I, I haven't. Po- I have a little video of it. I haven't posted it anywhere, um, and it's hard uh, in our show notes to post video just directly. Like I have to first tweet it. Uh, or put it someplace else yeah. or on Instagram. So I, I'll, I'll try to do that. Um, we went to uh, the border with Lebanon of Lebanon, and we went down into a tunnel that Hezbollah had dug. It took them five years from their side of the border, digging through to Israel. And Israel was able to stop them so that when they got to the end, they weren't allowed to get out because it's like hard, hard rock. It's like marbly rock. It's not like sandstone. But we went down inside and it was pretty, pretty wild. We also stood uh, with someone who was a head of defense forces there. And he told us as we were looking over the border at these houses, like here was the Israeli border. There was Lebanon. He's looking at different houses and there's different fields and there's different mountains and different this. And he's like, all these houses, do you see, do you see under these, under every third domicile, there are missiles. There are 200,000 missiles allied along the border here. And they are there for reason. They're, they are, uh, they are there obviously to blow Israel off the map or also just to kind of keep this tension going. And, And when we were back on the bus, I'm like, how do they, like, how do they launch these missiles, right? You can't just like have them under your house. He's like, well, there's three ways. They will be loaded onto trucks that are close by. And they, I think he said you could, between nine and 48 missiles can be loaded onto a truck. I might've gotten that number a little wrong and driven to a nearby five minutes, five mile station where you have rocket launchers. Um, or there are these, um, you can build them under houses or, or just platforms of some sort where then the roof raises and the missiles launch directly from there. 
or you can have a portable um, missile launcher, basically. So this is, you know, when you're taught, and this is happening on all sides of Israel, you know, Israel is this tiny country and it is surrounded. And, you know, when they say that, you know, Israel wants to be, the area wants to blow Israel off the map, they're, they're, they're planning on that. And there's a lot of people that are allied, you know, there's Hamas and there's Hezbollah and there's Iran. So this has all been very interesting. And then last night, uh, oh, we also went two days ago, we went to uh, an Iron Dome battery. So the Iron Dome, do you know what the Iron Dome is? Sarah, have you heard of it? No. Well, I've, I've okay. seen a picture. Of, I have a friend that ha- I think has a picture of the Iron Dome, but I always pretend like I know what it is. I don't. I will tell you. So it's not actually a dome. Like when I first, I was like, wow, they have a whole dome over Israel? Hot shit. Because Israel's not that big. Israel, like you can drive from the river to the sea in an hour. And apparently it's like the size of New Jersey and there's 9.5 million people. It's not that big. What the Iron Dome is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a series. I don't know how many. They actually couldn't tell us how many because that's it's military secrets of these sort of portable. It kind of looks like a giant, kind of like a, I don't know, a, like if you went to a big concert and they had like a big lighting thing that could like shine up in the air with big lights or like a the size of like a big, like a tank. What happens is that let's just say we were looking over toward the Gaza Strip. Okay. So let's say Hamas is going to launch missiles or rockets. I also learned the difference between missiles and rockets. So missiles, rockets, and something else. Sorry, I'm, I'm forgetting my verbiage here. You have a few seconds to detect that this missile is coming because it's very close. We could see Gaza from where we were standing, okay? you A few seconds, there is a military base, they wouldn't tell us where it was, a central command that instantly knows that this is happening and they launch a intercepting missile toward the missile that's coming toward Israel. We'll find a video of this and 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 put it on because there are some incredible videos that have come out. So hmm. when you look up in the air, the, the missiles are launching from one direction and they're being basically intercepted and exploded and with luck on an area that it's not dropping on civilians. And this is basically how, you know, Israel keeps itself safe. They're very effective. They're not completely effective. We also went to a settlement which is not called... Oh, sorry. You want to ask a question? Nope. Okay. Um, um, Tell us real quick. We also went to an area, you know, everybody has heard of a kibbutz. I remember having like friends in high school go work, like picking oranges on a kibbutz, which is where people live communally. Well, kibbutz is, I don't know if they're not as popular. The woman that we met with who lives on something that's not called a kibbutz, but it's the same sort of thing. She said there's many of them around. Um, She lives close to where they are being fired on by Hamas. And she said they were getting, their arrows getting between five and 20 um, projectiles a day. Some of them were small. Some of them were bigger. It is not. Let me tell you, I've only been here a week and a half. I am so, so, so far from an expert, but I have been extremely fortunate to have been spoken to by a lot of people that are very high up in their fields, that are very, very qualified to explain this. And yes, some people have certain POVs. I might want to you know, maybe broaden a little bit or whatever. They certainly know more than I do. This is an incredibly complex uh, state, uh, country. And, um, you know, there, there is a reason why they have to, they have to protect themselves. They do have to protect themselves. Okay. Then last night, where did we go? We went to Nat. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. We went to Nazareth I, last I night. I was going to change the subject. <laughs> well, because no. I, I, I wanted, there was, there was something I was going to say, which 
it's not, I keep interrupting you to tell you that when I was in my 20s, a friend of mine had a nickname for me, which was Sarah Hezbollah, which I really hated. Oh, Sarah. Oh, yes, that's not good. Because <laughs> Hezbollah sounds so much like Hezbollah. It does. And so he would always call me that. It does. it does. It's not, it but does. it was it was the nineties. We made jokes like that. But so so sorry. You, you were going to tell us where you went to dinner last well, night. We went last night. We went to Nazareth, which was really interesting. It's already dark, and we drive into Nazareth, and like you're driving past, which is you know where where Jesus was born, right? And you're 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 going past all these um, Christmas tree stores. Like you're you're in a Jewish country, but this this area is not. It's thirty percent Christians, seventy percent Muslim, and we went to the home, it, uh, a home that I think it had been born uh, built in eighteen sixty. It's this beautiful high ceiling home. I guess I think the mayor had lived there at one point years and years ago. But now it was these two pretty elderly women, Muslim women. They cooked us dinner, which was delicious. And um, we heard about someone who lives there um, who you know, basically told us what it's like to, to live there and what he does with, with, with the community. And, and it was very honest. And the, the, one of the most interesting things is like, how do you get how do you get this problem, this intractable problem of violence between the Palestinian population, which is supported from a lot of outside countries and this violence, and the Jewish population to stop, you know, killing each other? And he had a very simple explanation, partly because he had a PhD in sports and he was like the minister of sports and he also played professional basketball for Israel. He's like, get the kids to play sports together when they're young. Get the you know I, we met another guy who was uh, the commander. He was showing us a lot of the stuff. Oh, like that's how to Lebanon. solve the world. That like how to solve the problem. Yep, the how to he solve said, the problem is get them. So, to, yeah. Get, get them, them to play, to play sports together because he's like, they were talking about how Israel had helped um, install or create this unit uh, in southern Lebanon. And then they had to evacuate because they were getting besieged upon by the Lebanese army or whoever was supporting Lebanon. And they came over into Israel and he's like, my kids, my kids, these are my kids' friends. You know, they're Lebanese. They're supposed to be our enemies. We're supposed to be shooting rockets. But now they play sports together. And this guy we met in, in Nazareth, he says, get them to play sports together. He's like, I have friends that are, you know, I have Jewish friends and I'm still friends with them 40 years later because we play basketball together and we still play basketball together. And I thought that was a pretty damn good explanation um, because because it's the way good. it is now, good. the way it is now, we even some people that I met and really respected they, we, we met this guy last night. He has been a minister in Nazareth. His nose is cleaner than clean. And he said, when he gets on a plane to go to New York, every single other person is on that plane before he is because they consider, because he is Arab, that he may be a terrorist. And he's like, I am, I, and, yeah. and, and someone at the table says, well, wait a second, wait a second. No, you have to understand it's just security. We've got to have security because, you know, people don't want to be getting on planes with terrorists. He's like, how am I a terrorist? How am I yeah a terrorist. And he's absolutely right. And there are, you know, everybody has their blind spots, whether I'm with Bitsalem or whether I'm with a certain minister, everybody has their positions, including this guy today who was driving me bananas. Um, anyway, it has been, well, I, yeah, I've, I've, I've loved the, the photos that you've shared on, um, on social media and the dispatches that you've done that will, will link to a couple of them and, uh, and, and we'll hear, uh, you know, even more about it because your, your adventures are continuing. We're running up on time. And I just, I, I wanted to ask you this one question, although I'm a little bit nervous and I hope it comes out the right way. What is the name of this podcast? I don't have to say it in Hebrew. I wish I did, but the name of this podcast is Smoke em If You Got Em. That's right, babe. Um, we're running up on our time. 
can you tell me what's in your hot box? You know what? I got to tell you, I can't, though maybe I can. Hold on a second. Hold is the Israel door, Sarah in your Hapala. hot box this week? Is Israel in my hot box? Is Israel in your hot box this week? Okay. It, Israel is in my hot box, oh my but I, I, I have something else even better. So if you give me a second, because I want to get well, While you look right. that up, I'm going to talk about the fact that I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about something while you do that. So, okay. uh, I'm going to tell you that we had an open thread, um, on ye old smoke him if you got him. And we t- asked people about their favorite comedians. We knew we were going to be talking about Dave Chappelle. And so that was really cool because a lot of people mentioned, uh, comedians that I did not know. And I love the laughter. And so, uh, last night I, I watched some of them and I'll, I'll continue watching some of the ones that I don't know, but I watched, um, Dusty Slay was one of them that somebody had, had, I've had never heard of this to person. that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, he did one called Tornadoes in Trailer Parks. He, he grew up in a, a trailer park and kind of like has long hair and like, like, uh, like one of those trucker caps and he just does, um, but it's, he's like making fun, like laughing about growing up poor, but it's really, it's like weirdly loving, you know, I, I watched that and, um, Everybody in the comment section was like, oh, my God, I grew up poor, too. Like, this is like it, it was one of these things that, again, I, I love anything that kind of makes people feel less alone and doesn't feel mean. Um, so anyway, I liked that. But the one that I really I, I watched the whole thing uh, was Andrew Schultz. Oh, he's um, great. Who I oh, didn't I, I, I did know about, but I had never watched his a full comedy special of his. And he did an hour long comedy special that was filmed at the Paramount in Austin, Texas, which I know very well. And I love that venue. Um, And, you know, if you don't know Andrew Schultz, he made headlines uh, a while ago because I think if I'm remembering this correctly, that, you know, one of the streaming services wanted him to make some changes to his comedy routine before they put it up. And he just pulled. That's right. He he just said said no. No. And no. he pulled it, which is a really interesting move. I mean, you know, as I was watching this last night and there's a couple moments where he comes in and he does commercials for something called like, it's like some online betting service and it's kind of goofy. And back in the day, you would think like, oh, this is a comedian selling out. And it's so funny because this is actually kind of what it looks like for a comedian not to sell out so much because he's getting to do the material that he wants. And look, somebody's got to foot the bills. And so it's going to be this online gambling thing that you look at. Um, but it, it's really interesting. And he's really, he is really funny. Um, talk about another truth teller. And uh, he did a lot of crowd work. And uh, that's always interesting to see what people come up with off the top of their heads. And he had this one moment, he was talking to all these women about their different birth control devices. Um, and one woman, woman had an IUD and he called it the USB of birth control. And I just, <laughs> I, I thought that was such a good description. I couldn't get over it. Um, so anyway, uh, it's called the, the, the video is called infamous, um, he is one of those people. There's a funny moment where he's talking to somebody in the audience and she's sort of like, she can, you can tell she's a little bit mad and you know, she's kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that we agree on anything. Um, and he tells her a joke and she laughs like she can't 
help laughing. And this is one of those, and she's covering her face. And it's, you know, it's one of those moments where like I was talking about, like laughter bypasses the intellect and the analysis of it. Like, you know, she doesn't want to laugh because the joke is quote wrong, but she has to laugh because the quote, the, the joke is funny and it hits her. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like the involuntary reflex of the body. So anyway, uh, I enjoyed that. What do you have for us, Nancy Rollman? Well, before I get to that, I would just like to say that Andrew Schultz is the first cousin of Bill Schultz, who some of you know. Um, we've been on Bill Schultz's show. Bill is a dear friend of mine, and um, Bill used to be on Red Eye for Red Eye fans, and now he has a show um, that he hosts uh, five, four days a week on Compound Media uh, called Morning with Bill Schultz and Joanne Nosichinsky, and I am a regular guest. I sometimes co-host over there. Anyway, Andrew is his cousin, and Andrew's kind of easy on the eye. I'm just saying... I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, he is. He is. And Bill, yeah, Schultz, Bill Schultz is great. He was at and your so birthday Bill, party and we great. love Bill. Yeah. Okay. So my when we um, went to uh, Yad Vashem, to the Holocaust Museum, at the last thing we did is we met with a Holocaust survivor. Okay. Now, obviously, Holocaust survivors, the camps were opened in 1944 and 1945. It's, you know, they're going to be pretty old. And her name was Rena Quint. Um, she was in the camps from the age of about three and a half to nine and a half. And she spoke with us. First of all, okay, this is a story I'm so glad I'm going to be able to tell instead of write. We're sitting down. She's at the head of the table. She's very funny. She's very talkative. She lived in Brooklyn for many years, so her English is excellent. And across the table, I can say is Michael Moynihan and someone else I won't mention because I don't know if you know one day, blah, blah, blah. And we're saying, oh, where did you live? Oh, Park Slope. Oh, Park Slope. Where did you live? Well, I lived here. I lived in this house, but we sold it. We sold it back in the 80s. And Michael's like, wait, What's the address? He goes on. So she says, yes, there's this thing, Zillow. Zillow? Yeah, yeah, go. She's like, yes, we sold it for $200,000. We sold it to the guy. It was going to be this one person, but then we had to leave. And we gave it the Brooklyn Museum, and I'm happy, and it's all good. Michael's like, that house just sold for $4.2 million. And she's like, ah, it's all good. She was so funny. She was so oh sweet. At the, she was so informative. At the end, she's like, come over, everybody, for dinner. I'm like, can I cook in your kitchen? I really want to bake. She's like, you come. You come early. You'll bake. But she told us her story, and her story was uh, absolutely, unbelievably devastating, including she kept saying, I had six mothers. I had six mothers. And it's like, what does this mean? And she has a book out. So I'm going to say that this is in my hot box. I haven't read it. I did buy it from her. It's called A Daughter of Many Mothers, Her, Hi her Horrific Childhood and Wonderful Life by Rena Quint. And it was basically she went to the camp and it was the whole family, the brother, the, she had an older brother and a father and she was with her mother and they were separated into camps. And then her mother, who was working in some particular part of the camp, found a list that said the family was going to be separated. And so what are they going to do? So she took the daughter and then, and then the mother was exterminated and somehow... She wound up with her father who said, you have to be a boy. You are a boy now. You are a boy. She was like, a, at this point, like a five or a six-year-old girl, but there would have been no use for a five or six-year-old girl, whereas boys, they were wow. going to keep alive to work. So he said, you are a 10-year-old boy. You are, you say it Holy after shit. me. Say your name, say your name, say your name. And then of course the father disappeared and the brother, and then she went from here to there, to here to there, to different camps and um, mm. to uh, camps and eventually was... But different, this is the thing, oh, yeah, yeah, Sarah, different women would take her, you know? Yeah. Like you're in the camp. Yeah. And so this is my child now. Because if you're if you're a motherless child, you're not you're not, mm -hmm. not going to live. We learned 90% of the children that were taken captive died. Okay. 90%. Also learned mm -hmm. that 
the Jewish population, we saw these crazy maps and that had been made by had been made by like Eichmann and like showed exactly how many Jews were in each country. This was at the Svansi conference where they I always thought that was like where the final solution was was decided. It wasn't. It was, but they did have this very very you know clear document of how many Jews were in, and then later how many had been exterminated and you know so so many and e- this was almost eighty years ago and we have not yet repopulated. They have not yet gotten back to the numbers that they were at. Anyway, so 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 she was then eventually taken by one family, and then she wound up in New York, and she was raised and beautiful, but she had no idea who she was. She never did. She didn't even really know her real name. She thought she knew. She did. She wound up marrying a beautiful, wonderful man, and uh, and then in 1981, she was asked to, uh, they were talking in her son's class about the Holocaust, and I don't know. I guess I don't remember what it was. And her son said, well, my mother was a, is a Holocaust survivor. And the teacher called uh, Rena and said, well, what do you, this can't be true. Like how would, you know, and you, and she's like, no, it, it is true. So she came in and spoke about it. She said she had never really talked about it. Of course, her husband knew. Um, and she said she couldn't get through two sentences. She just wept. She just kept weeping wow. and weeping. And it, she decided at that point she would go and try to find out who she was and where she came from. And in fact, she found yeah. a lot of things. She was a small village in Poland. And anyway, I was so happy to know her. And I told her, I told her, I'm going to try to get, going to get it over. <laughs> so there's a phrase and the phrase is overused and I do not like it when it is applied to me. When people say that you're bearing witness, it's just, it's too easy to say this. You know, I'm going to bear witness, though it's really the most important thing you can do, right, If to these horrors. I told her afterwards, I was like, look, you know, we're all journalists here and we try to do our best. We try to tell our stories which properly. I just wrote about a, you know, a woman who's murdered. I'm trying to tell her story, bring it to the world. But I can't say that this is bearing witness. You... Not only did you bear witness because you did bear witness, but you to come here and give this to us. She not only gave us her story, okay, to all these people, like, like, like literally like shooting out stars to the rest of us that we can take now and bring to whatever work we do, whether we do it directly or indirectly, it just, it goes, sorry to be, to goes in our hearts, but She's brought us the stories of other people to her about her mother and her father and the people in the camp and the woman that took her in and the woman who committed said she brought us their stories. That is bearing witness. And so you might want to read her book. I have it. So that's in my hot box. Well, this is a great way to end because you've made us both cry. Um, I well, have, been, you know, I've the been, open aperture. I've been dabbing my tears since the part about the part about the mothers. Um, yeah, all the mothers that that took care of her. Um, that great reminder that even if you are not a mother, you can be a mother because someone might need you. I, you, you have uh, to be. This is, um, yeah. yeah. So this is a great way to wind up. Um, we are now at the end of our time together, but your adventures continue, Nancy. Do you have anything to tell us before you go? I'm going to be here a couple more days. Uh, going back home, uh, we take a very, very late night flight on Friday night, and I'll be back in the city and uh, getting ready to bake some pies for Thanksgiving. Um, thank you guys for for spending time with us. Sarah, thank you for doing the heavy lifting on this one. I'm, I'm booked from morning till night, so Sarah and I usually split the uh, chores for episode notes and, and intros and all that stuff, but I think I'm going to be passing it along to my very capable, if sniffly, yes. um, podcast partner this time around. So You can blame me for everything. Um, okay. So. <laughs> <credit you. laughs> 
or credit okay. me. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Bye. See you next time. Smoke them. Young girls, they do get weary Wearing that same old shaggy dress Yeah, yeah But when she gets weary Try 